Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, post-Sandown 500, a good weekend for you. Yes, a very enjoyable weekend, Tony, and uh, amazing how different the three days across the Sandown 500 were with uh, perfect weather gracing us on race day. Well, that's what you want, isn't it? Um, Unfortunately, there were, uh, regardless of the weather, there were a couple of very large accidents, um, maybe one not so accidental, um, but uh, a bit of car damage and a few cars possibly written off. Um, good to see no one was injured. Um, the the uh, safety built into these cars nowadays showed itself for uh, all the work that has been put in. Indeed, and you you just can't uh, believe that a, a car can hit that wall at Dandenong Road so forcefully and, and the driver be absolutely uh, unscathed and, in fact, uh, able to race so successfully for not only the rest of the weekend but within, what was it, two hours of getting onto the racetrack. Indeed, uh, yeah, they probably held up his uh, start enough of doing the repairs to the fences um, that uh, gave him that few more minutes just to catch his breath because uh, it was a big shock for Todd Hazelwood. He did take some time to recover and uh, while he has slipped from the lead of the point score in Super 2, he's still very much in uh, in contention for winning uh, his inaugural uh, championship in supercars. Particularly if the talk of... Paul Dumbrell not going to race in the final race at Newcastle comes to fruition. That uh, isn't the first time that Paul has not done the whole season, and I think even uh, one year he didn't do the whole season but was still able to win it. Yes, indeed. And, of course, uh, it's one of the requirements, I would think, of his uh, contract with Triple Eight and Red Bull to be Jamie's co-driver is to get that extra laps and uh, kilometres driving in Super 2, because he's virtually driving an identical car through the Eggleston team. Anyway, fascinating win for uh, Cam Waters. He got his second pole position, albeit through the qualifying race system. And Richie Stanaway made his debut uh, in the main game. Uh, well, it wasn't the main game debut. He ran last year successfully to the point where PRA uh, wanted him back again, and by crikey, did he deliver. So it was a one- Wonderful race. Both Cam and Richie put in a great drive. Yeah, it was fantastic racing by them. And what uh, we've really seen now is PRA have a huge problem on their hands. They have four seats and they've got five drivers. And one of which, remember when James Courtney, oh, sorry, yeah, James Courtney was uh, brought out by Mark Scaife to run for HRT and then Stone Brothers whipped him away. Uh, if you're Pro Drive Racing Australia, you would have learnt that lesson and you're going, we can't afford to let a, a talent like Richie Stanaway go to another team. Uh, we've got to have control of this young fella. Yes, indeed. And lots of uh, rumours going around. Um, they, it was interesting that uh, 
one of them that uh, he will be uh, leased out to LDM, um, or possibly uh, he'll run in the uh, PRA with the LDM uh, rec, and that uh, Jason Bright might run over uh, LDM. But one of the uh, things would be that LDM would be Lucas Dumbrell's would move to uh, run uh, Falcons next year, um, which of course would be uh, you know a change for them after many years of being one of the Holden teams. Yeah, that one is a very interesting uh, piece of speculation. And, uh, gee, wasn't there a lot of uh, chatter about teams, teams' future? And I know on this show we've mentioned about what could be the possibilities for Techno, and uh, um, uh, Tom Howard had a, had a story la- uh, before Sandown that uh, Jonathan Webb saying they're absolutely rock solid and... Uh, we should talk about a $15,000 fine for Jonathan Webb uh, because we certainly talked about Todd Hazelwood and that's uh, an expensive mistake in that uh, co-driver's race or qualifying. It is a qualifying race. Yes, it did. I mean, 7500 of it has been suspended until the end of the year so long as Jonathan Webb doesn't make another faux pas. I mean, it certainly was not intentional by any stretch of imagination, but... It was looked appeared clumsy, uh, uh, careless. I think is the uh, the word possibly used uh, around it. Was it called reckless? Oh, wow, right. Well, um, that that is uh, uh, only a step away from being intentional. Um, not that I'm suggesting for one second Jonathan Webb would ever do anything intentional like that, but it uh, gets into uh, interesting country. I mean, fascinating is that on the Sunday. Night, we saw Sebastian Vettel behaving very erratically um, over in Singapore, and I'm staggered to discover that uh, he has walked away scot free from that one. So uh, it's very difficult to understand stewards when uh, across motorsport what they're doing, but so be it. We also had that interesting situation, Tony, where we had uh, David Reynolds talking about on Saturday night how flat he felt because he had had the fastest lap in timing, in the timing section of the qualifying. Luke Yielden got his first race win, but they don't go into the record books. No, no. I mean, it is a, a sad thing that uh, uh, it was a uh, first pole position for a uh, Erebus Holden, a first race win for an Erebus Holden with Luke Yielden. Um, and uh, yes, as you say, all they do is get to start third in the row uh, record whatsoever now. Uh, David was uh, suggesting various things like uh, maybe a point scoring. Some of the 300 for the win could be allocated to those who actually won in those qualifying races. Um, Well, we don't have any points for qualifying. There's a a money reward, which, of course, David missed out on. That went to Cam Waters. Um, uh, Interestingly, of course, also that so early in the year, in September, that uh, Scotty McLaughlin wrapped up the uh, in uh, Armour All Pole Position Award for the year, uh, getting a cheque for $10,000 to go along with the individual pole award uh, prizes he gets through the year. So um, that's an interesting one. Okay, he, of course, has got 13 positions, a good seven or eight of them, I think, are consecutive. Um, and he'll be now looking to add to that title because I think the record is 13 held by uh, Jamie Wincup a number of years back. So that'll be interesting if you're able to, uh, over the next uh, 10 or so events, uh, or 10 or so uh, races, add to that uh, tally. 
Um, so the championship uh, widened a bit because uh, Scotty McLaughlin took another 70-odd points uh, away from Jamie Wincup. Wincup and his teammate Van Gisbergen have both uh, had, uh, had good speed, but unfortunately both suffered from tired, uh, flat tyres or... or uh, not flat tyres so much, but maybe um, some type of a tyre failure. Uh, Mark Dutton, team manager for Red Bull, has come out and said that uh, quite likely they erred on the wrong side in uh, getting their setup to work at Sandown, and they'll be working hard to make sure that it's correct for Bathurst. So uh, the championship has just opened a little bit up. It's an 84-point lead uh, for uh, McLaughlin over Wincup. Uh, Mostert has actually moved into third place ahead of Van Gisbergen, and, of course, the others, such as uh, Lowndes and uh, Winterbottom, a little bit further back than they were. Um, but overall, it's still a uh, tight tight uh, event and championship with three teams more than likely going to be fighting over these next races uh, with the PRA, Mostert and uh, Waters, who's moved into ninth place in the championship. Yeah, one Great. thing we haven't spoken about, Tony, is uh, the fact that Ash Walsh and uh, also Tim Slade were excluded from competition. Yeah, rather extraordinary that um, Brad Jones, it was during the broadcast which uh, uh, was covered by Neil Crompton that uh, they thought there was uh, an anomaly between what uh, the Brad Jones team was doing and the rules and regulations for running at Sandown in that uh, a co-driver had to do 54 laps and the rules and regulations are written about the amount of resting time there is and things like that. Um, the bottom line was that uh, they were excluded because the co-driver rested for too long or didn't rest long enough, one of those two equations. But the uh, bottom line was uh, BJR, unfortunately, were excluded. And with uh, uh, Tim Blanchard's car written off, uh, they're busy uh, rebuilding it for Bathurst. And with uh, the Percat car not having a great weekend as well, it was a fairly dismal uh, sand down for Brad Jones Racing. Um, looking, looking further afield, um, uh, certainly Erebus, uh, Dave Reynolds was uh, showing excellent speed. Luke Yildon, his co-driver, they were right up there in, in, in all the the events leading up to the race and then unfortunately a puncture, uh, I think it was a uh, uh, right front uh, puncture um, uh, caused them to have an additional pit stop and of course damaged the car and they, they lost out there. Uh, they certainly would have been part of the podium given that uh, everything had run correctly but as it was, Chas Moster who'd been in the top five all day Saturday um, they climbed up there to uh, complete the podium with uh, Cam Waters and Scotty McLaughlin. So, uh, this week's trip, this week uh, we have a treat for us in having Alistair McVean from Erebus, of course. Uh, he engineers Dave Reynolds' car, long-time Walkinshaw uh, man who was uh, first of all put on loan um, to uh, Erebus and now has... Uh, left the uh, Walkinshaw camp to work full-time at, at Erebus rather, um, as part of the uh, Melbourne-based team. Of course, they went from Mercedes in Queensland to Holden's in Melbourne, and then uh, down the Moravian Way, where Barry Ryan is team manager. We had him on uh, earlier this year, and uh, looking forward to having a chat to Alice there today. 
the other thing, Tony, that we should mention is the uh, fact that uh, we've got Tim Edwards. I spoke to him following the success oh, right. at uh, uh, the success at uh, Sandown. So we'll also hear later in the show Tim Edwards. It would have been good to talk to Tim. I uh, haven't spoken to him uh, after the race, but certainly uh, PRA showed the uh, dividends of uh, the work they've been doing, particularly, I think, in the engine department. Did you speak specifically about those items with uh, Tim? Mm, we didn't talk about engines. We talked about a lot more, though, and uh, particularly about the safety right. of the Sandown circuit. And look, you know, despite what a lot of uh, fairly negative people are saying about uh, the track, uh, it, it did show up well again at Turn 6. It's about the third or fourth year in a row almost that we've had a very large accident in Turn 6 and the car going straight ahead. Uh, Will Davison, Lee Holsworth, um, James Golding have all experienced uh, the rather nasty feeling of heading uh, almost flat chat into a, uh, into a barrier. And the good thing is that the safety components they have in place, not only for the track but also in the cars, has meant they've been able to step out of the car and continue racing, if not that day, certainly very soon afterwards. So it's great to see. And so after the break, we'll be coming back with, first of all, Alistair McVean. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. As we mentioned, that we're joined uh, today by Alistair McVean, engineer, race engineer on the number nine, Dave Reynolds, Erebus Holden. So welcome to the show, Alistair. Thanks, Tony. Good to be here. Yep, wonderful to have you here. Um, another big weekend and then followed up with a ride day at Sandown even more just because if you weren't tired enough beforehand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a pretty big um, weekend for us. Yes, indeed. There was certainly uh, more than just promise shown. There was some real speed shown in your car, and uh, you know, and obviously a, a good pairing in uh, Luke and David. Uh, yeah, exactly. Dave's Dave. He's uh, he's great fun to work with, and Luke just really added to the mix. A lot of experience. Uh, the other very pleasing thing would have been the speed that uh, in uh, Dale Wood's car because he was in the top seven in qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been trying to get uh, both cars up there all year, and. Uh, Good to uh, to finally start to get that. Yes, yeah, particularly coming up to the uh, the two driver events. Um, to start off with, Alistair, just sort of like to go back and and where did your interest in motorsport? Where were you first exposed to motorsport uh, in your life? Yeah, I was probably a reasonable late starter into motorsport. I was I'd already started uni before I really became um, sort of interested in it. Uh, oh, right. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't grow up with a, a dad that was involved or anything like that. It was more a case of I just uh, I cottoned on to Formula One. Uh, went to the 1996, I think, F1 race in Melbourne and just sort of got the bug from there. And, um, through uni, got involved in um, the Formula SAE project at uni and it sort of just developed from there. 
Right. Okay. So um, you were doing engineering already? Yes, I started off doing a, an engineering and commerce degree at, at uh, Monash Uni and um, eventually just branched off into the mechanical engineering stream on that side of things. Well, you certainly got interest in the top end of town then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The SAE, I mean, I've had a little bit to do with it. Um, it's certainly a great way to get involved because you're hard in there actually making a, a car that works uh, to a very strict set of rules. Yeah, um, it's actually reasonably unstrict in terms of the rules, which is which is great. The, oh, okay. the beauty of it, the beauty of it is um, you basically get to deal with practical side of engineering. I guess just get you out of the textbooks and. Uh, into the hands-on side of things, so it's it's a really beneficial project. So once you got your degree, where did you actually get started? Uh, well, I was actually still just finishing up my degree. Uh, I've got a um, basically started part time with um, the Holden Racing Team in 2004. I was lucky enough to get recommended for a role they had there. They were just this was sort of in the early days where they were just starting to add on um, data engineers um, to the right. team. So I was lucky enough to get recommended. At, at a time when they were just starting to look for someone and, and basically uh, was very lucky in that regard. What what year did you start there? Uh, 2004. I was just thinking about Ty Anderson. He was doing data, but he would have been a bit earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was around at the time, though. Yeah, OK, all right. Yes, um, and uh, I suppose, unlike him, that you didn't head off overseas to uh, uh, extend your experience. No, for whatever reason, it just uh, never really... Um, it really worked out that way. Just right. quite enjoying about supercars. And just... Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, as uh, as you well know, not having to go overseas to see it firsthand, it, it's uh, as competitive as you could get anywhere in the world of motorsport. Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about supercars is that you know you can just get exposed to so many areas of uh, of racing that um, keeps keeps the job uh, exciting, I guess. So um, you'd reach the role of being a race engineer. At Walkinshaws, um, and you have you engineered both uh, Mark Scaife, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was data engineer with Mark Scaife, and you know, worked with Todd Kelly, Rick Kelly, Will Davison, Garth Tander, uh, James Courtney while I was there. So. Well, the great thing is you've not only had fast drivers, but also success with those drivers in uh, the category. Yeah, and I've been very yeah, lucky, lucky to, to, um, to be able to be able to basically go straight into the top ten now. I'll hold you up there because I don't actually believe in that was good luck. It's good management. It's the fact that you actually had the skills to get to the job is why you're there, not because you're good luck and were standing wearing green shoes and uh, wearing the right colour shirt. I mean, you got the job because of skill, not because of good luck, all right? And much as you might be a handsome man, I'm sure you're not employed for your looks either. No, I definitely don't think that's the case. That's what they got David Reynolds for. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so um, you uh, were engineering um, after a period of time. Is that the the area that you want to go to? Just stay in race engineering? Uh, yeah, I've, I'm obviously um, it's the role I've got at Airbus now, sort of in charge of the engineering department. But I actually think it's pretty important that um, uh, to stay close to the race engineering side of things because um, I guess you can get a bit distant if you're not directly involved. Um, with the, the nitty-gritty of running cars. And... One of the very pleasing things for you would be that, you know, the car that uh, David is driving is a Erebus-built car. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We put a hell of a lot of work into it this year to, um, 
to really make it our own and develop it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been improving every every event. There's new parts on it all the time. Um, yep. Yeah, we're pretty proud of what we've been able to achieve with that. And there are more developments coming for Bathurst? You've got further speed to bolt into it? Uh, not so much probably bolt into it, probably more refining uh, what we've done. We, we had a, a lot of new parts come through um, for the test day just before Sandown and obviously ran them at Sandown. So uh, the next phase is really um, you know, refining those and getting the most out of them. And how are you finding that the idea of going back to the 2016 type of Bathurst? I mean, obviously it's being done for a safety reason, but in terms of the speed you had in the car then? Uh, yeah, we're a little bit disappointed that we're going uh, going back to last year, I guess. Um, you know, I think we've, we've enjoyed racing on the new tyre this year. I think all the drivers are a fan of what it's... Yeah, OK. Now, you had problems at, uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park and, again, at Sandown. Have you isolated the reasons why um, they occurred yet? Well, I guess the unfortunate thing with uh, tyre failures is you're, you're never fully sure of what's happened because yep. all the evidence, evidence is destroyed. But, um, a pretty clear understanding that the, the issue at SMP was um, related to running off the circuit. Yes. Um, uh, a very specific one. But uh, the, the one at Sandown looks like it's failed going over the curb at turn two and then um, and an instantaneous loss of pressure next time you set the brake. So uh, the exact cause of that, whether it's... Uh, you know, being cut on the back of the kerb or whether it's something with, um, you know, how we had the car set up, you know, we're not quite sure. You you would have walked the circuit on Thursday. Was the uh, hole out of uh, Turn 1 very large? I mean, it looked very large on television. Did it appear that way when you saw it? Uh, it, it it's the usual thing. It always gets deeper as the weekend goes on. This guy's yeah, run out there. Um, yeah. We don't think that was a factor in, in our issue. Um, right. He, he certainly didn't run out there on the lap in question. And did you have two uh, tyre failures on the Sunday? Uh, one on car 90 and one on car 99. So, um, oh, I can say that. Were there things that uh, you could feel that we'll be able to do to circumnavigate that problem again, sort of thing? Or you know, just that's it's going to occur again? I think we'll just have to be a little more conservative in you know, the usual things, cambers and and, uh, and pressures and what have you. Um, obviously, this tyre is a little bit more prone to those kind of issues, but um, it's up to us to manage that effectively. You've unlocked hey. some speed now, Alistair, with the with the car, which that was probably what you were struggling a little bit with earlier in the year. Is it disappointing now to go back to the 2016 tyre for Bathurst when, as I said, you're fast now on the new one, or is, or is it a comfortable shift? Uh, well, we're obviously disappointed to go back because, you know, we, we quite like the new tyre this year. It's uh, it's a lot more racier and, you know, better grip and the drivers enjoy driving it probably more than they did the old tyre. But in terms of adapting to it, we don't we don't see too much concerns. We're still expecting to, to have a, a reasonably fast car uh, with it. Everything we've developed this year we don't think is particularly tyre-specific. So we're still very much looking forward to Bathurst regardless of the tyre. Do you think with, um, well, obviously the tyre is one component that's the same from last year, um, obviously with what appears to be, you know, greater speed than you had last year, you've got a, a standard now with both David and Luke returning again. Do you think that you're just going to enjoy 
you know, a better performance and a better overall result? Well, I think basically every single of uh, the teams actually you know, significantly improved since last year. Um, so as a team, we're very much looking forward to it. We're a lot better prepared. Um, you know, Dave's driving at an improved level. Um, I'm engineering at an improved level. Every mechanic on the team is, is spanning the car at an improved level. So we're all, we're all very excited in that regard. And I think we can have a really good shot at it. One thing that did show up quite vividly was that uh, you're certainly not lacking in the power department. So being a, a Walkinshaw or a engine customer is something worthwhile for you. Yeah, they they provide us with a fantastic product in that regard. It's yeah. you know, just so easy. You know, it's been perfectly reliable all year and, and great power, so we're, we're very, very happy with that. And uh, so the no more test days, that's done for the year? Uh, we've still got one up our sleeve. We only just okay. finished our second before Sandown. So um, for us, it's more a case of um, just managing the, the time to squeeze it in. We um, you know, we don't have the, um, I guess, the resource level of some of the other teams. So often we decide it's it's better for us to focus on um, just preparing for the next race meeting rather than trying to you know, only half prepare for test day and half prepare for the race. So um, we'll try and sneak one in later in the year. And the biggest benefit from the weekend was that not only a reasonable success, I mean, it wasn't the ultimate that you were hoping for, but you had the speed and also the fact that um, two straight cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, um, any time we come out with the straight cars, you know, very important for us. We can then focus purely on making them better rather than you know, just recovering. Well, we certainly look forward to uh, watching the results of Erebus and uh, seeing how both uh, the 9 and 99 cars will do there. Um, you'll uh, revert liveries now to the more normal Penrite and uh, um, galvanised, galvanised, what is it, galvanised? GB galvanised. GB galvanised, that's it, and you couldn't work out whether the galvanised would. Um, and uh, hope that you have a, a really great Bathurst, uh, I'll say. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Look forward to watching it and... Uh, more of the uh, results of uh, for Erebus. Thank you so much for joining us, Alistair. No problem. Thanks, Tony. And after the break, we'll be back with Tim Edwards. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Cure Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. While I wasn't there for it, Craig had a great chat with Tim Edwards as he and the PRA team enjoyed their double podium at the Sandown 500. Well, Tim Edwards, uh, a great way to start the Pertec Enduro Cup, a win and cars right up towards the front for the majority of the race. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, they uh, wear good car speed all weekend. I think, you know, the drivers are all pretty happy with the cars as soon as we rolled them out of the truck. And a couple of our cars didn't quite get to the pointy end. At the end of the race, we've been turned around on lap one and 
five second penalties and drive throughs but um but the guys have been all pretty happy with the car speed all weekend so I think even even in the uh the two races yesterday um what was probably most pleasing about it was the feedback from the drivers um you know particularly of car six was that this is just going to be a great race car over a long distance and and Chaz was exactly the same just said no this is going to be a ripper car for for, for long runs which is great because what you don't want to have is a car that's good for five laps and then you get jettisoned out the back so I think you know that was that was very pleasing even yesterday so I think you know that meant we came into today's race with a fair degree of confidence. What's been the difference since you uh, went to Darwin what have the what have been the keys to going back to basics and starting and resetting the year? Uh, Well it's not just since Darwin I mean Darwin was just a little particularly the Sunday of Darwin not even Saturday because Chaz got a good result on the Saturday there. Um, we just had a bit of a, a reset after that. You know, we had one bad race, and nobody's let us forget it. So, you know, we've, we've been strong all year. We've had multiple podiums before we got you know, before we got there. So, um, we've just carried on doing what we always do, and that's analyse this weekend's results, what, what the what the um, drivers are saying about the car, what we can see in the data. Go away, try and fix that. Come to the next race, try and win that. Go back, analyse the data, analyse what the drivers said, and it's just a, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. You know, we just we're constantly looking to improve the car, and we're not looking at what we need from the car in four races' time. We're just trying to we're going to Bathurst next. Let's try and win Bathurst. We'll get through Bathurst. We're going to Gold Coast. We'll try and win Gold Coast. So, and that's what we do. You know, it's it's there's no rocket science to it. It's analysing what happened this weekend, trying to make sure that whatever problems we had don't reappear and whatever things we're struggling with with car performance we can address and we go to the next race and try and win that no but, rocket science but it's not one moving part so it really mm. is mm. <laughs> thousands and thousands of things that we're doing all the time um, so it's, it's just I won't say it's a process of elimination it's just a process of working through what challenges you've got and trying to fix, it, fix them and you go to the next race and something else happens and so then you go, right, we've got to fix that now. Mm-hmm. I realise it's two red flags at Sandown in two years and in 40 other years there hasn't been a red flag, but I'll ask the question anyway. Have the cars evolved to a point now where they're approaching the Dandenong Road corner too quickly and you need to have a look at it, knowing that there's at best three years, I think, left... Maybe not even that. At the end of the day, the, the, the circuit safety is, is for, for CAMS to, to determine. Um, plenty of other categories that are going a lot slower also go in at, at that corner. So, um, unfortunately, if you have a tyre failure, you're going to go into the tire, into the wall there. You know, it just so happens to be a fast corner. Yeah. yeah. So, look, you know, I, I don't think it's got anything to do with the speed of these cars. It's just... You know, that corner's bitten a lot of people over a lot of years, as has Turn 8 at Adelaide. You know, they're kind of those yep. those famous corners that tend to bite. And when they bite, they bite hard. But, uh, you know, stupidity from drivers or tyre failures that cause accidents there can't make the place idiot-proof. Uh, as an employer of drivers, you do have a duty of care, and if something's seen to be dangerous... At the end of the day, track safety is 100%. Nothing to do with supercars, nothing to do with the teams. That is... Cam's responsibility and after every single race they do what we do they debrief and they will analyse what happened this weekend and they'll determine um, you know because 
none of us are skilled at, at track safety. We don't know what the corner speed is, the runoff area is supposed to be, blah, 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 all that stuff. That is that is their responsibility. So I wouldn't even want to comment on that because that is that is that's their that's that their responsibility. Ours is trying to make our cars go faster <laughs> and, and keep our sponsors happy and our fans happy and, and etc. So. As I say, they'll, they'll debrief after this weekend and, and they'll determine whether something needs to change there. You have, you being your role with supercars on a, the management side, you have made decisions before when you've thought something's not safe and you address it. Queensland Raceway, you bring in some extra safety equipment mm. to but, make sure that racing's but safe. The, so. But, the, but the, you know, the amount of supercars work with cams, you know, they're part mm. of that... that Group that debriefs after debriefs after a race, and they debrief from everything about the toilets weren't clean enough, and we ran out of toilet paper. So we're having far too many accidents at a particular corner. Does something need to change? So that the appropriate people that are involved in that whole process, um, you know, having a tyre failure could happen at so many other corners at racetracks around the country, and there's always going to be accidents. The positive is that everybody walks away or has walked away from accidents up there because the circuit does have the appropriate number of tyres, and and that's why they stop for so long. You know, some people would say, ah, well, you know, they could have just pushed the tyres back and we could have been racing again five minutes later. Well, no, they actually make sure that they all get put back 100% right because if somebody does go in there again, they all want the the benefit of the whatever it is, eight rows of tyres or whatever number it is, and they've all got to be chained together in a certain way and strapped together, so... And that, that takes time. So I think what the circuit and supercars have done, and um, whilst it's caused a bit of damage to cars, it's 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 been you know as accidents go, they're safe accidents. And critically, the, this new generation car and any subsequent cars are so much safer than what we were racing before, and that is another key point. Oh, 100 percent. You know, a lot of effort went into these cars in. in um, in 11 and 12 before we debuted COF in 2013 and safety was a major motivator for a lot of the things that happened with these cars you know the fuel tank position the survival cell that it's in the side intrusion in the roll cage and and also inside the doors as well so huge amount of effort's gone into making these cars safer you know much like Formula One do you know when you know, you, you know driver safety is is, is paramount so um, and you know you've seen us all implement the leg tray that was mandated for this round. You know, and uh, people use Chaz's accident at Bathurst as oh, well. That's the catalyst for why we've got it. But y- you know, you roll the clock back. Courtney's accident at Phillip Island where Premier hit him. Holdsworth's accident at Darwin. All those where people had leg injuries potentially wouldn't have happened if we had this leg tray. So you know, we're always working to make these cars safer. Which has surprised me that it hasn't been instigated in the uh, in the Super Ute. In the Super Ute. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know anything about the Super Utes. I've had no part of it, nothing to do with it. I've seen them driving around a racetrack, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. And I believe there's a Ford Holden, and uh, uh, I think there's a Mitsubishi. But to be honest, I really haven't kept tabs on what's going on with that. No, but does that surprise you that well, they haven't got those cars are going to be travelling at a lot, lot slower than than, than a supercar? So. But you know, like all categories, you know, the, you know, things gradually phase in. When the Hans device first came out, you know, and I'm guessing, you know, whatever it was, a decade ago, you know, that was, you know, Formula One started with the Hans device, and it, wa- it wasn't everywhere, and that gradually filtered down over time to, to other categories. To now, every single category has Hans devices, so it's one of those things. You know, you can't 
you can't change the world overnight. All you can do is just keep working towards making it a better world. <laughs> now, another another one is: uh, Does a Sandown 500 need not be time certain and become a 500 kilometre race, just like Bathurst is a 1,000 kilometre race? Oh, look, I don't know. That's that's a question for other people that are smarter than me, because you know there's all kinds of other implications. There's the noise restrictions that apply to this this circuit because they've got very very strict noise regulations, number of days and, and time of day, you know, we can't, if we do an engine change at night, we can't even start the new engine up and make sure it's okay, um, because we're not allowed to start engines after five o'clock, so there's a lot of other factors that, that come into it, then there's the telecast, because, you know, we wouldn't want to interrupt the news that comes on at five o'clock, you know, etc, 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 so it's not quite as simple as saying, oh, let's just, um, you know, not make it time certain like Bathurst. I always remember, though, a quarter of the country was watching Chaz and... And Paul Morris go across the line at Bathurst. 5.2 million people watched him. So, you know, that's a pretty astounding figure. Or was it 5.4? Whatever. It was a quarter of the country actually saw the last half hour of that race. Um, so, don't worry. That, 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 that little statistic is embedded. And I'm disappointed. I can't remember if it was 5.2 or 5.4 now. I haven't had to use it for a while. Yeah. But, you know, this is... I guess I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here because that's what is being bombed by fans. Why is it short? Why is this? No, I'm asking the question to someone who well, well, is in a position a, to know. It's a, it's a combination of, of the, 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 the noise requirements for this venue, which we have no control over, um, um, you know, because there are houses that surround this circuit, and yes, you can say, well, what was here first, but it is what it is, so we've just got to, we've just got to deal with it. You know, it's not the only circuit we go to that has noise restrictions. Phillip Island has noise restrictions, and the only thing that hears us there is the penguins, but they've got very sensitive ears. <laughs> so it, it's not quite as simple as, you know, of course, you know, we're all racists. We wanted to race for 161 laps as well, but it is what it is. <laughs> You've got Cam Waters, who you brought into the team a couple of years ago now, showing that and repaying that faith that you guys did because you had to make a decision between David and Cam and Cam being that younger guy, there was, you know, that 10 extra years that he has in his uh, drawer over someone who's older and you made that decision to go young. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we didn't start that just even with Cam as well. You know, we, we started that with Chaz as well. You know, we, we, we made the business decision to invest in youth a few years ago and, you know, and... and and to be honest, you know, Richie was actually the first driver on our radar because in 2009 I was talking to him when he was racing Formula Ford. He then decided to go and race in Europe. Um, so, you know, look, you know, I don't know whether it's because I worked for Eddie Jordan for so long and, and Eddie brought so many young drivers through, but, you know, I'd, I would rather grow someone myself that I know what I'm getting then. You know, I'm not... Um, you know, they, they grow up, you know, we've talked about it many times before with, with Chaz as well, you know, he finished his apprenticeship with the team, you know, he's close personal friends with, you know, a lot of the team, uh, and it helps, you know, they have, they have that bond, and, and and Cam's done a fantastic job to follow in Chaz's footsteps, and, you know, to be honest, really, you roll the clock back, even Frosty, I mean, Frosty was a pretty young bloke when we took him on back then, you know, he finished, I think, 26th in the championship in... Uh, the year that I signed him and his first year driving for us he finished third in the championship so sometimes you've got to take a bit of a punt and believe in that, that these young blokes can do it and um, you know there's not many teams doing that hence we've got only six drivers uh, six or seven that are under the age of 30 so we've got an ageing driver population so at least I'm uh, at least I've got a couple of the juniors and you have this horrible problem that 
you've really got a young driver who's now also a winner that uh, needs to really get a permanent seat. He's uh, first outing in Dunlop Super 2s. He's a winner by the end of the weekend and he's first outing with PRA in the main game. He's a winner as well. He goes all right, doesn't he? And how do you solve that problem? Time will tell. <laughs> Between now and Bathurst, what are you going to be doing? Uh, doing what I described to you uh, 10 minutes ago. We'll go back, we'll review this weekend because not everything went right, you know. And there's plenty of things didn't go right, so we'll review all those things and, uh, and try and make sure that, you know, and when I say things go wrong, you know, we might have had too much understeer or we might have, you know, it's not just, oh, we had a, something broke. Um, you know, we just analyse everything that happened during the course of the weekend and, and a lot of things went wrong, you know. I was frantically making notes during the race of things that... You know, we're going wrong, we had gone wrong, and you just got to go back and debrief about them and try and make sure they don't happen at the next race. I guess people don't appreciate when they see you on the TV just overseeing operations what you're actually trying to uh, work on. They see you there, they but your guys are doing strategy, you're overseeing the whole operation, aren't you? At the end of the day, you know, I, I try and employ the best people I can, you know, that that's you know. If, if we're an orchestra, I would be the conductor. So I don't play a musical industry instrument and I don't engineer a car and I don't wield spanners on a car and I don't do any of that. You know, I just try and find the best musicians I can, whether it's drivers, engineers, commercial people, composites, painters, fabricators, engine builders, etc., etc. Try and, uh, try and recruit, recruit the best people and, uh, and, uh, and then sit back and enjoy watching the race. Well, Tim, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. All the best as you get ready for uh, the 1,000 this year. No worries. Thanks a lot. After the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars this week. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times this week, been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Scott Pye and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, my final thought for this week revolves around young drivers and it is just so wonderful to see that Cam Waters in his second year um, with the team has had the ultimate success now in winning one of the major races of the year. It is his debut win and that uh, he's long shown the, the, the speed. He got a pole position last year at, uh, over at Wanneroo, and now has followed that up with a, a win here. And joining him was a wonderful young driver from New Zealand, yet another one from their mass production line they seem to have over there in Richie Stanaway, who, it is pretty certain, is going to be full-time in the series next year. This is great for uh, Australian and New Zealand motor racing. So there'll be four. New Zealanders next year in the series uh, more than likely we're going to get a new winner and he could well be of the championship and he could well be another of the New Zealanders uh, making him the uh, fourth I believe it would be after Robbie Frankovic Jim Richards, Shane Van Gisbergen and probably possibly maybe Scott McLaughlin Greg your final thought Gee you're counting some chickens there Tony aren't you? <laughs> Uh, well. My final thought is, how good is a, a long race 
Too bad it was the Sandown 386 or thereabouts. And I know some of the drivers in the press conference talked about it not being a time-certain race. I spoke to a bunch of people, including Tim Edwards, as you heard, and I'm, I'm still, even though Tim's tried to calm me down, I'm still not over it. I cannot understand how uh, the Sandown 500 is not a time-certain race, just like Bathurst. And I would throw in the thought that, gee, shouldn't we have long races like that as the mainstay of the championship? Uh, I haven't seen the television rating numbers for it, but I would suggest to you, Tony, that if we had more of these four and 500-kilometre races, there'd be a lot more interest in it probably would make a race weekend a lot more comprehensible, uh, ignoring the qualifying system at Sandown. Uh, however, I do say that with forked tongue because I'm still totally uh, unable to comprehend the Tim Slade exclusion, but uh, that's perhaps a discussion for another day. One thing I'm excited about, Tony, is next week on the show, Tony Quinn. Yes, indeed. It was wonderful to sit down with Tony to get his thoughts on the management of uh, Australian GT moving across the supercars and looking beyond that, looking at his involvement in the two tracks that he owns in New Zealand, Hampton Downs and Highland Park. I'm looking forward to getting over there and seeing those two tracks. They've been uh, under enormous development in recent times and it uh, should be wonderful to uh, see them firsthand. But look forward to next week's chat with Tony Quinn and uh, all that's around Australian GT. So from Inside Supercars this week, it's Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Supercars.